Hello, everyone, and welcome to MLS Assist, a podcast created to give insight into Major League Soccer's on-field action. I'm Joe Lowry, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Jordan Angeli. Jordan, I hope you're feeling sufficiently Western Ooh. today, because we've got the Western Conference semifinals to talk about. Well, let me go get my cowboy hat. <laughs> I don't know exactly where I put it these days. Uh, always. I always feel Western. I love that. Do you Do you have a cowboy hat? You know I don't, actually. Okay, so fair that enough. Was a lie. Sorry. No, thanks no, for, I respect it. For, now everybody knows I'm a liar. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> but I want a cowboy hat, and I want some cowboy boots, so... Maybe we'll get an ad read for those things <laughs> since I since I put it out there. <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe not. I don't know. We'll see. I'm not sure if we have quite that much pull yet. Maybe someday, Jordan. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> On today's show, as I said, we've got two Western Conference semifinals to talk about. The first game, this was earlier on this week, was Seattle's one nothing win over FC Dallas, and then much more recently, as we're recording now, it was last night, Minnesota United's three nothing win away to Sporting Kansas City. Jordan, let's go in chronological order, starting with okay. that game up at CenturyLink. Oh, I, I actually think it's Lumen Field now. Oh, they changed it. Yes. Okay, this is back-to-back shows where I've messed up some geographical, <laughs> you, some state. I didn't know time? where the Union played in Philadelphia. Uh, oh. In, in Pennsylvania. <laughs> See, I'm doing it again. I shouldn't. I just shouldn't be allowed to talk about stadiums or cities. Uh, stay with the soccer. I'll no, stay with the soccer. No, I'm, I'm going to do that. Seattle beat FC Dallas, but I thought it was a pretty open back and forth game that I really enjoyed. And and for me, I want us to start here. It was two of the most talented attacking midfielders. This will be a a trend throughout the show. Two of the most talented attacking midfielders in Major League Soccer going not toe to toe because they didn't face off against each other very often. But in each attack, it was Nico Ladero for the Seattle Sounders and Andres Ricarte for FC Dallas. And man, I thought both of those guys put on a show. Yeah, what I found really interesting too, Joe, when we talked about Dallas in their last game against Portland, we spoke about how we thought it was kind of a good strategy for them to let Portland play. We were wrong. And then I don't know if you <laughs> did you hear in the broadcast yeah. when they, they were talking about how that was not part of the strategy, and I was like, oh, that's interesting. And I think when I looked at it from that perspective, and then I watched how Dallas was playing in this game, I really liked their approach, and I felt like Seattle is an intimidating team. Especially when you look at their ability to break on the counter and who they have in, in the speed, but also the possession ability of those players when they do break. It takes some guts to go into Lumen Field and, <laughs> and be able to expand yourself a little bit and also put some pressure on Seattle and make them feel like the team who's kind of under under that pressure or uncomfortable a little bit. I really liked this game plan from Luchi Gonzalez. Yeah, I bolded in my notes, okay, Dallas didn't want to sit back against Portland. Portland <laughs> just pinned them in, apparently. Luchi Gonzalez wanted his team to go and play. And so even though you and I thought it was a good strategy to let the Timbers try to attack and try to break down a lower defensive block for Dallas, evidently that's not what they wanted to do. And they came out against Seattle looking more like, I imagine, more like what Luchi Gonzalez wants them to look like. They played with the ball more. They didn't dominate possession. It's hard to do that against Seattle, I think. They didn't dominate the ball all the time, but they had longer spells of possession. They had quick, aggressive passing movements in the attacking half. And then for me, after that, if you're going to possess the ball against the Seattle Sounders, knowing that Brian Schmetzer builds this team primarily to sit deeper and then attack quickly in transition... For me, the thing I was zeroing in on to watch from Dallas in this game, even though they lose this game, I was watching to see how well they could counterpress. How well could they stop Seattle's counterattacks? 
Because that's the issue. That's what you have to figure out when you play Seattle. How do I stop Jordan Morris, Ladero, and Rui Diaz from moving down the field as quickly as possible? How do I cut those attacks out before they start? In Dallas, especially in the first half, I thought had some really good moments of counterpressure that didn't allow Seattle to break out so often. And I'm trying to go back in my brain and think of all the opportunities that Seattle had. You just mentioned the first half, so we'll go with the first half. I don't feel like they got on the break very often. When they did break down Dallas, it was... mostly in the attacking third with more numbers back for Dallas, but also more numbers forward for Seattle. Would you agree? Yeah, I would. And I, I got something on that when you're done. Okay, that, that was my point, because I just thought that that was interesting that you said that. So I, I want to know what you saw from Dallas to to resist the counter from Seattle and also get themselves in a place where they really made Seattle break them down with numbers behind the ball. Yeah, so when Dallas would lose possession, they would... They would swarm the ball. So there was a moment in the 14th minute that I have down specifically. Brian Reynolds lost the ball. Young, talented American right back loses the ball on the right side of the attack. Seattle then are in possession. Their goal in that moment is to move the ball forward as quickly as possible into space in Dallas's half. So Seattle are trying to do that. They're trying to move the ball forward. But FC Dallas swarms them and forces a sloppy pass that goes out of bounds. And they get possession right back. They get a throw in on the right side and they can start all over again. And that actually is what happens. Moments later, Dallas lose the ball again, and this time Seattle does get forward. But this, for me, is the second part of Dallas's ability to counterpress. It's their center backs in the back. Their back line, really, but Matt Hedges, more than anyone else in that back line. In this moment specifically, even though Dallas hadn't been able to counterpress high up the field, Matt Hedges cleaned up the danger inside the box. So for me, good center backs are totally key if a counterpress fails, and they needed that center back in certain moments, and thankfully they have him. So do you think it, when teams play Seattle, they don't have good enough numbers around the ball when they are in possession to create opportunities to counterpress when they do lose the ball? Because it seems a little counterintuitive, right, to counterpress after you lose the ball against a team who wants the space in behind like Seattle, but actually can be a benefit to you. It can totally be a benefit. It's a risky thing. Yeah. Right? If you lose that initial counterpress. If you if you put three, four, five guys in the general area of the ball and you don't win it and Seattle gets away from the press, you're in real trouble. And that's why Matt Hedges, I think, was so important in this game. But it's it's almost counterintuitive because for me, I can see Luchi Gonzalez thinking, again, the same philosophy that I thought he might have had, a lot of hypotheticals here, against the Timbers. We'll sit back, let them try to beat us But actually against Seattle, I think we saw, as you said, Seattle had the ability to break Dallas down. And I thought they did that in some interesting ways when the the Sounders were in the attack as well. Did you notice, too, the few times when Dallas was trying to build out of of pressure, that combination play that I had spoken about on previous shows with Brian Reynolds just one twoing on the on the chan in the channel. Yeah. I I wish I would have marked the time of the game that it happened, but it happened over and over again. And I just thought that, okay, well I noticed that pattern in that one game and really thought that that was something that they did. And maybe it is something that they do against a team who is more likely to try and high press you and counter press you a little bit more to use that pressure against them, which is a little bit of what you're kind of talking about on the other side as well. Absolutely. Dallas are out of the playoffs. Their season is mm-hmm. over. They don't have CCL. They're they're done for 2020. Jordan, if you're FC Dallas, if you're Luchi Gonzalez or someone in the front office, how are you feeling after this loss? Because if I'm them, I feel like this is probably one of the most encouraging ways you could go. I'm feeling good. 
to, and this is what I actually spoke about this yesterday in regards to the Columbus crew, but I think it, it speaks to a lot of teams this year is you get to this point, And of course, there's going to be disappointment in the result if you don't go forward, right? I think Dallas will be disappointed that they didn't win that game because as you mentioned, they had a variety of moments where they were able to not only get a goal, maybe get the go ahead goal, but to challenge Seattle at their home field to winning that game. So I think they'll be disappointed that that didn't happen. But I think if you look back, especially over a year and look back to Dallas in the playoffs last year and really how much they have grown as a team being able to withstand Portland in that first round with overtime and penalties and the poise that they showed under pressure, there's a lot of growth in there. And it just is you know, it really speaks to what FC Dallas has always done. It has been a club that we've seen grow, right? The homegrown movement, I would say, really is FC Dallas. And they have grown these these kids into their first team. And now their first team is continuing to grow in that same progression with Luchi Gonzalez. So I think it is a step in the right direction for them. Dallas are in a pretty good spot between the youth, between some of the talent that's now coming in, between Ricarte being the DP they need him to be. I think Luchi Gonzalez, the last thing for me on Dallas, I think Luchi Gonzalez hit the midfield balance just right. With Tessman, with Thiago Santos, and with Ricarte as the more advanced midfielder, but he had the freedom to drop back. And those three, I thought, had good balance and covered for each other well. If Dallas hit on a couple more DPs and, and are able to bring in some higher level attacking talent to pair with the rest of the players they have, they're going to be in a really good spot for next season. Yeah. Shifting Mm -hmm. our focus over to the team that actually won this game, Jordan. The Seattle Sounders, they score a goal at the beginning of the second half. We'll talk about that goal in just a moment. But before that, what did you see from Seattle? What did they do well? Why are they where they are right now in the Western Conference? I noticed a pattern that I think Seattle goes to pretty often when they're in a possession progression from their final or from their defensive third to their middle third. And it has to do with the work um, by kind of the outside player. So let's just say we're on the right side. So it's Roldan as the outside back, Alex Roldan, Jovan Jones above in front of him as the winger or that attacking midfielder on the, in the channel. And then Rui Diaz is the nine, which I have a question for you about Rui Diaz too, after we end this. <laughs> um, but it's really those three. And what I noticed is as the ball progresses out wide to Alex Roldan and he takes a, a you know, typically a, a forward progressing touch into the attacking half or near the halfway, Joven Jones is actually really tucked inside. Almost like I think we talk about these uh, vertical channels on the field. He's almost in the central channel. He's so tucked inside as that winger. Um and one of the things I noticed is when he tucks inside, it brings with him the outside back. In this case, it was Nelson comes all the way in with him, kind of man marking him. And what happens there is Jovan Jones would check to the ball. And if Roldan didn't play him, he would then spin out quickly. The ball would go into a now checking Rui Diaz. And there's a little combination that they could just slip in Jones into the channel in behind Nelson, which I thought was a really smart play and a good way to incorporate Rui Diaz and his ability to be a connector in that part of the field into that combination. Rui Diaz is so good with his feet in every area of the field. And I don't think that gets talked about enough. He's good in the box. He's good getting on things. His movement is solid. He can get on the ball, connect, put his foot through it and score goals there. Uh-huh. But he, he can also be used as an asset deeper down the field, and I love that you pointed that out. Jordan, what's your Rui Diaz question? 
It, what is he a false? Does he play a nine and a false nine? Like, well, who is he? <laughs> I think I think there's been a lot of discussion with the U.S. men's national team specifically over the last month or so about the number nine position, about that striker. When Greg Berhalter played Sebastian Legette against Wales, he was a false nine, and people got a little bit miffed about it. And then Nico Joachini played the next game, and he played more of a flex position like yeah a combo i like that i like that flex i think actually when i'm talking just now i think i'm overcomplicating it right the number nine job the job of a striker is multifaceted it -hmm. can be to stay high in the box but that's not really a part of modern soccer anymore you need all of your players to be technical you need your center backs to be technical and your striker to be technical and able to contribute in all phases of the game I think right now, number nines, if you look at the best number nines in the world, or at least the, the most well-rounded ones, you see guys who will drop into midfield, but also will step higher. And so I yeah. think that just should be what we call the number nine position. And we don't even need to specify, is it, uh, is it a guy that always drops in or does he stay high? It's yeah. almost always going to be some combination of the two, with the exception of a few different circumstances. Right. I actually think that's interesting that you mentioned that, because I think Rui Diaz and actually... Robin Ludd on Minnesota, who we'll talk about. I think they play this position very similarly and in certain areas of the field. And I think it looks more like a false nine in transition because as that player who's typically the highest player on the field checks back, it then creates space for Jordan Morris, uh, Nico Ladero to run into the, the channels that maybe have gotten a little bit wider because of that counter movement from Rui Diaz. And we see that with Minnesota as well. So, um, maybe it, it is in more particular moments or transition moments in the game that it does look more like one type of nine than the other but i like that let's just call him a nine <laughs> <laughs> let's keep it simple which we rarely yeah. do i think that's oftentimes oh, yeah. my fault but uh, at least on this one occasion we will i've got three bullet points on seattle before we talk about the goal and wrap up this game okay first bullet point is an offensive one earlier on you were talking about how you thought a lot of the damage the sounders did to dallas was when seattle was in possession higher up the field And I completely agree with you on that. I noticed Seattle multiple times in the first half attacking the Manchester City zone. This is one thing, this is something that we should see from teams all across the world who want to score a lot of goals. But Seattle attacked with, with either Nico Ladero or Christian Roldan. They attacked those little areas on the outside of the inside of the box, those little channels on the side of the six yard box. It was Seattle pulling Dallas's defenders wide. They're, they're right back and they're right winger or they're left back and they're left winger. They'd pull those players wide and then have a midfielder. One of Seattle's midfielders would run into the outer channel of the box. They'd have three or four guys then inside the box in good spots, ready to get on the ball and and get on the end of the cutback and shoot. Seattle did that multiple times. And as they move forward in the playoffs, that's something that Minnesota United should be watching out for. Seattle did that really well. That's that's point number one. Really, really quick on that. Didn't you see Jordan Morris making that run more than you've seen him make the run maybe all season, that internal channel run? Yep. I thought that was really interesting how they utilize that space with his speed, but also he's his ability to dribble in tight spaces, I think, is continuing to improve in those moments. It's those little subtleties of how Seattle attacked, and, and they didn't score a goal from open play, but they still did good things in the final third defensively. I, I think Seattle do such a good job when they're back deeper in their block, a 4-4-2 or 4-4-1-1. They do such a great job of shifting side to side. Seattle protect the strong side where where Dallas had the ball, and they also protect the middle. So they have their block shifted over, let's say, to the far side. They have everybody protecting the most important areas. Don't get beat down the wing. Don't get beat in the middle. As a result, they're leaving space on the weak side, and Dallas saw that and said, okay, well, we'll switch it over there. That's what they should do, probably, unless they can break through somehow where the ball is. 
So Dallas shifted play over to the other side. But Seattle didn't get beaten with those switches. They shifted their lines. They shifted their their spot defensively so quickly that they can shut down almost any attack regardless of how quickly or how often their opponents switch the point of attack. That is very mm-hmm. impressive and not easy to do when you're moving as a collective unit. And that's that, that impressed me a lot from this game. I do think that's impressive. I don't think that the outside backs for Dallas had the best game in being able to utilize the switch a point of attack, especially Brian Reynolds. We've talked a lot about him. I don't think that was one of his best games. I think he's, he struggled at moments. Agreed. And he's usually very good at as the, the point switches and the ball comes to the strong side, which he is on then, and going as fast as possible to exploit the space in behind. And he just was a little timid in moments. And I think so credit to Seattle, but also how will they adapt to teams with maybe a higher level of outside back? No, that's a great point. I think that's totally fair. Last thing before we talk about the goal, I don't think Seattle get enough credit from me or from from you or from anyone really for how good of a pressing team they can be. They extended Mm -hmm. their lines forward and gave Dallas some fits with their press in this game. They seem to know their cues which are sometimes, I think, back passes or Lodero stepping forward. I'm sure there's a bunch of other ones in there, too. They know their cues. They move together. They're man-oriented in the midfield, which makes it really hard for Dallas or for whoever they're playing to build up through the midfield when Dallas or, or that opponent is in possession. Seattle are just really, really tough to beat because they're so good at so many darn different things. Yeah. That's funny that you mentioned the good pressing by Seattle because I had Dallas recognizing Seattle's pressing cues and also at some at some moments they were just faking a back pass to get Seattle to jump mm. on what they thought that pass was going to be and then letting the pressure fly right by them and open up a, a pocket of space where that pressure was coming from i thought that was it, it didn't always work for Dallas, but that's one of the things when a team high presses you. My my college coach, Jerry Smith, used to give it a Top Gun analogy where it's like put on the brakes and let them fly right by. <laughs> and I always think about that with teams who high press. Can you do a spin turn out of that mo- moment where you're just pretending you're going to kick it long? The press comes, you spin out of it. You fake the back pass as we saw Dallas do and then try to exploit the space that then the person had um, flown by you leaves available so but I agree Seattle is a great pressing team and they definitely have that intimidation factor that's one of the reasons that they are a little bit more intimidating is because they can press and win the ball back this game could have gone in a couple of different ways there's a reality where Dallas win this game and I appreciate you pointing out some of the things that they did well where maybe I focus more on Seattle but let's keep that up for just a minute to talk about this goal it's the 49th minute it's Nico Ladero serving up a set piece for Shane O'Neill it's a nice little design on the set piece it's a it's a back screen of sorts to use some basketball terminology from from Yaimar Gomez he sets a screen on Tiago Santos freeing up Shane O'Neill to get around the corner get up towards the ball meet it in the air and head it home to give Seattle that one nothing lead yeah the ball is perfectly placed too yeah no surprise there yeah yeah it goes exactly where it needs to go to be far enough away from that front zone but also in a space where Shane O'Neill can head it back across the or farther across the goal it was a beautiful header from an unlikely source but you like you you love to see it (laughs) you do love to see it this episode is supported by season three of fx's welcome to wrexham celebrity owners rob McElhenney and ryan reynolds small town welsh football club has finally been promoted into league two after 15 seasons in the national league Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? 
FX's Welcome to Wrexham premieres May 2nd on FX. Stream on Hulu. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Jordan, let's move on to the okay. to the game that decided the team that Seattle will be playing in the Western Conference Final. It's Minnesota United. They beat Sporting Kansas City 3 to nothing. Like the Dallas-Seattle game that I think could have gone differently. Well, any soccer game could go differently. But (laughs) there there were chances for both teams in in Seattle. And the same thing goes for a game in Kansas City. This Uh game could have gone differently. Sporting Kansas City had a couple of really, really, really good chances in the first 15 minutes of this game. They don't convert them. Dane St. Clair makes a couple of really, really big saves. Oh, my gosh. And Minnesota United then stomp Sporting Kansas City for the rest of that first half, score three goals, and essentially end the game right there. That there's something happening in that net. That's the same side of the field where Amelia made all those penalty right. saves. And I, I cannot, I'm not a goalkeeper expert by any means, but his ability and reaction, Dane St. Clair, on that save, it should have been, it should have been a goal. It was well placed in his reaction. I'm just astonished to be, it's hard to put into words how good of a save that was. It was incredible. And there were a couple of really, really good saves. I mean, Dane St. Clair was huge in this game. He didn't Mm -hmm. need to distribute, which I think is good because I don't think he can do that at a high level yet in his game, in his career. But his ability, his ability in net in this game was massive. And it would have gone, it would have been a totally changed game if Sporting Kansas City had scored those couple of goals, but they didn't. And I'm almost glad as a neutral who likes watching fun soccer, I'm almost glad that didn't happen because that meant we got to see Sporting Kansas City step forward a little bit at times and leave space in the midfield for Minnesota United's incredible mm. offensive tandem of Emmanuel Reynoso and Kevin Molino. Are they your favorite duo to watch in Major League Soccer or what? Not just my favorite. I think they're the best. They are so fun to watch. I I was texting with my dad before the game and I was like, talking about them and just how fun they are and how they how they play off of one another and they did not disappoint at all. Nope. I mean all three goals had at least one of their fingerprints all over it or footprints, toe prints. Nah, I don't like that. Yeah, uh, that's fine. Prince. I mean, Reynoso gets all three assists and Molino scores the first two goals from Minnesota United. Let's talk about that. Why not? I mean, we might as well get right into the real juice. Before we get to the goals really quick, I just want to say we talked about FC Dallas's growth. How about Minnesota United being able to withstand that onslaught of high pressure, high intensity from Sporting Kansas City, perennially one of the best teams in Major League Soccer with um, that ability to to win big games, that they could have make poor decisions. I think 
Chase Gasper put him under the, the gun a couple of times and still find a way to calm themselves and create and rely on, I mean, this is why you bring in big players. This is why you bring in DPs because they show up in big moments. But I just think their ability to withstand that pressure shows the growth of this club over the last year. Yeah, I edited Allocation Disorder earlier today before we're recording right now because Taylor is out um, with, with the birth of their recent child, he and Margaret. Congratulations to you guys, by the way. Oh my um, gosh, congratulations. What a cutie. Yeah, Reverie is is adorable. Uh, but I, edit, I edited that show. Paul and Sam did an excellent job of going through and giving credit to Minnesota United, giving credit to mm. Adrian Heath and Mark Watson for the roster that they've built. Yeah. Now that Adrian Heath has more control in those roster decisions – and so go listen to that show. That's a long-winded okay. me. That's a long-winded way of me too. saying that. <laughs> they they really broke it down well and talked about the players that they've brought in and the differences that those guys have made. And you're right, Jordan. This is a totally different team than than the first couple of years that Minnesota United was putting mm-hmm. out on the field. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So I interrupted you. We were getting into the goals and how they got scored because I think that's really important and in how this game went, especially with how Minnesota wants to play. So I'm going to throw it back to you. Let's get going on these goals. Okay, let's do it. Goal number one for Minnesota United came in the 27th minute. Minnesota play long from goal. That's Dane St. Clair with with the long ball into midfield. And Minnesota win the ball. This is important. They win the ball, they get possession, and it's Chase Gasper on the ball wide on the left side of the field. He then plays it into midfield for Molino, but Molino says no thank you and lets the ball roll through to Emmanuel Reynoso. Reynoso then plays it back to Molino, who dribbles into the box and scores to give Minnesota a one nothing lead. I mean, what... A perfectly weighted ball from Reynoso. What a dummy from Kevin Molino. And a calm finish from Molino as well. It's a great goal. It's a really great goal. And it's a little off um, on one of the things that I want to talk about about Minnesota, but I think it fits in the respect that Minnesota does a really good job of finding their uh, a target player and then uh, providing that target player with a bounce pass, with someone underneath them to be the support. And even though Molino doesn't get that initial ball, as he dummies it, he could have been that person. He could have stayed there, but he saw that the gap was open in behind and connected with Reynoso there. But I think it happens all the time in transition for Minnesota is they find the highest player, whether it's Kevin Molino or Robin Ludd, or maybe it's not the highest player. Maybe it's Reynoso, who's a little bit deeper, but they always have support right underneath them by Alonso or Grey Goosh or even Gasper or Metinair on the outsides. They're providing that bounce pass. So so then they could do almost an up back and through combination play to use the speed of the players um, who are really good at exploiting the channels. And I to add to that, even more bird's eye view from, from an even higher perspective, Minnesota United right now are just so good with the ball. They mm. do those little bounce passes as well. They have players in the right spots. They can overload the center of midfield, which is so important in any game because that's where you want to be. Those are the spots that you want to control. And when they have Reynoso playing as the number 10, who has freedom to move around as he sees fit, when you have Kevin Molino, who basically can do the exact same thing, he starts wide on the left, but he's never going to be wide on the left, except when Minnesota are defending. Those two guys can move into the middle of the field and create overloads with Ozzy Alonso and Jan Gregush at the base of midfield, or with Ethan Finley tucking inside, or Robin yeah. Lode playing that number nine spot, where he does sometimes drop in, because I think that's a requirement, as we talked about already. They have players in those areas that they can just pass right through you. They can move right through you. They can dumb you right through you. And Kansas City, with Ilya playing as that single pivot behind Busio and Espinosa, Sporting Kansas City didn't stand a chance in this game. They didn't have the legs in midfield, 
And they, they couldn't keep up even if they did because they were getting overloaded so often. Yeah. And I liked how Finley was playing, too, because he actually stayed wide a, a lot more than Kevin Molino. But that allowed Kevin Molino to not only play in the pocket on the left side, but play in the pocket on the right side, too, yeah. which is where we see him score the second goal, which is pretty remarkable. I, I thought it was incredible. And just to mention what you were talking about, about how they're good at keeping the ball the highest passing percentage on the team was Ozzy Alonso, which I yeah. think we all would have uh, would have guessed. The second was Kevin Molino. 90% of his passes he completed. That's hard. Yeah, especially with how he plays. It's very direct. It's dribbling a lot. So he's completing the dribbles and then completing his pass, which yeah. I think is a really... It shows you how important this guy is. And I had a, a little dream session because everybody knows that he's out of contract at the end of this year. It just makes you dream of like, what if he plays? I mean, he'll probably stay in Minnesota, but just putting him in different teams and seeing how teams would benefit from a player like Kevin Molino. Every team in Major League Soccer could benefit from him. I think we talked about that with Carlos Hill last week. Mm-hmm. There are so many great playmakers left in the playoffs right now. It makes me really excited to see what games yeah. we have left. Totally, yeah. Let's move on to goal number two. And we talked about how great that attacking movement from Minnesota was on the first goal. That also stands for this second goal. It's Kevin Molino in the 35th minute. Minnesota United are in possession. Reynoso gets on the ball in the final third on the on the right side, kind of in that half space on the right side of the attack. And he clips a little lofted ball into the box for Kevin Molino, who somehow turns himself and his body, his head, and sees the ball coming out of the air and gets a foot on it with his first touch and and scores. It was intentional, but so weird to watch, so incredible to watch. Jordan, I'm going to need that that finish difficulty rating that we've been talking about. How hard is this finish from Kevin Molino? Because it looks so hard. That's the hardest one I've talked about all year. 10? Is it a 10? <laughs> it is a 10 because he's coming in the opposite direction with his run. He actually, there's a good slow-mo of it, and you see him hold his run up a little bit to make sure he keeps himself onside. And then he continues his run once the ball is played. And he almost clips it in a way that it puts a little bit of spin on it. So the ball comes back as it bounces. It's coming back towards the frame of goal, which means as his body is coming back around, he hits underneath and then to the inside of the ball, which is like, what? How did you do that? It is incredible. And it's one of these things where he probably hasn't practiced that exact movement but his ability in in knowing what surface to finish with and his body control, I think that's one of the things that impresses me most about him. And I talked about his dribbling and his passing, but his dribbling is a result of body control. His scoring ability is a result of body control because in those moments where it means the most, his body is so still and calm. So then every single movement is meticulous and well thought out. Some of the best goal scorers, you'll just see the steadiness in those moments. And I think he has that. What a finish from Molino and what a yeah. pass from Reynoso as well. Yeah. Again, Reynoso has his toe prints all over this. I still hate that, but I'm kind of going with it at this point. I like toe yes, prints. Yes, his toe prints all over this game. The weight on the pass, again, just like the first goal, the first assist that he has, this time the pass is in the air, but it's still perfectly weighted. Mm-hmm. We would also be, we'd be wrong if we didn't mention Sporting Kansas City's defending here. We kind of oh skipped over gosh, it on the I first goal, and it's it's fine because we, we didn't need to talk about it on the first goal because it's a theme through all the goals. So I knew we would hit it. Kansas City in this game, especially in this goal and even in the next one, their defending in the box is not good. They can't figure out where to set their offside line. They're all weird and wonky and out of shape. Neither center back, Reed or Punchich, 
wants to deal with Molino, because if you watch the goal, and listeners, I'd encourage you to do that if you haven't already, Molino's in a gigantic pocket of space. Not to discredit the finish, but he's in space because Kansas City don't deal with him. They, they couldn't figure out how to control their own box, and that was a huge problem for them in this game. So I would actually whittle it down to Kansas City ball watched a lot. Yep. So they were all watching the ball. And even in that buildup, it was a one-two with Reynoso that went straight around Busio. And because Busio looks to the ball after it gets passed to the next player, he can just get one-twoed around at the top of your box. That is unacceptable. <laughs> like unacceptable to get one two especially when you have the best player on the field one twoing you. You have to stay with your marker. You have to start your marker, that person in your zone. And I'm, I noticed that a couple of times it was Busio, it was Gerso in, in particular, that once they got in those positions, they would just get one two And that and the, the movement that you just talked or talked of or lack thereof from the, the back line and the center backs was because they weren't aware of what's around them. They're so focused on the ball and so focused on putting pressure on the ball I'm putting that in quotes, putting pressure on the ball, that they would lose their mark after the ball left because their eyes would follow the ball. You just can't do that. Yeah, and it. I guess we will go back to the first goal. It's Puncic and Reed again who are ball watching. They ball watch so hard on Reynoso after that Molino dummy that then they're not paying attention to Molino's run at all. And so Molino's wide open making his run behind the back line because no one's paying attention of how to stop Minnesota in that moment. The same thing goes for this goal. People are ball watching, no one's paying attention to Kevin Molino, or no one's willing to be proactive to step to him and deal with that player in the box. I mean, it happens over and over again in this game. I mean, let's loop in that third goal, too. It's a Reynoso corner kick in the 39th minute into DeBassi in the box. Sporting Kansas City are zonal marking. I can't even count the number of times on this show, Jordan. You said (laughs) when the team is zonal marking, every person in the zone, if the ball comes into your zone, you have to jump up and meet the ball. You have to go after it. Winston Reed doesn't do that. DeBassi runs into Reed's zone and heads it right over him. Sporting Kansas City were too passive in this game, and credit to Minnesota United for taking advantage of it. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head. <laughs> I'll, I only know because you've handed me the hammer with all of your, your zonal marking discussion. I learned from that, Jordan, and I appreciate that. Jordan, is there anything else you want to add from this game, this really impressive win from Minnesota and really disappointing game from Kansas City? I think the only thing I want to add is just Minnesota's ability to press. And I noticed that they actually look like when they went into a high pressing scheme or system setup, they look like they were pressing in a three, four, three. I thought that was really cool. I hadn't seen that before. So what'd you say? I hadn't seen that before this game from them. Me neither. It was the, the it was Lud Reynoso and Kevin Molino who would be those front three who would go in and high press and usually it would stem off of Molino making the decision to step into a center back or an outside back for Minnesota and then they kind of all shift. It would turn into a, a three back and one of the outside backs would join the midfield line of four. It was really coordinated and well thought out because a lot of those times. M- Sporting Kansas City didn't know how to relieve the pressure, so it often was just dumped into the central zones where Jan Gregush or Ozzy Alonso could win that ball. Yeah, I mean, Minnesota United did, like I said with Seattle, Minnesota did a lot of really good things in this game in a number of different phases of play. We're going to see those two teams face off early next Mm -hmm. week. It'll be Seattle and Minnesota, and then before that, in the Eastern Conference Final, it's Columbus and New England. We'll be back again early next week to talk about those games, to analyze those two conference finals Jordan, until then, thanks for chatting soccer with me. 
I had so much fun. Yeah, that was great. Thanks, Joe. Listeners, thank you for listening, and we'll be back again soon.